Hey, welcome once again to Iowa innovators, educators, entrepreneurs, ecosystem builders, and anyone who's interested in finding fresh ways of doing the work that they do right here in Iowa. This is Iowa Innovation, powered by NewBoCo and sponsored by Nymaster Good, where we talk to leaders in innovation, education, and entrepreneurship. I'm Rob Merritt, and I am here today with Dan Turry, who is uh, kind of a expert in all things cybersecurity and IT. Dan, I've known you for a while now. Uh, you've done a lot of work with Kirkwood. Uh, I've worked with you at NubuCo and with Delta V. Uh, just talk a little bit about your background. Yeah, I, I think it goes back to like as a kid. Do you remember we used to have the permission to always ask why? Like we could say it over and over and I, oh, I know yeah. you, you've got a young son, so get ready for those years. They're a lot of fun. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm all set for it, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but I think as as we look at that term hacker and kind of the people that, that the cybersecurity industry has attracted over the years, it's the curious. It's the innovators. It's the people that this podcast reaches. Um, I, I remember taking taking bolts off a garage while my father was trying to build it. Um, and, and then those same trades came over to IT. So finding an old computer, trading it for a dirt bike, taking it apart, wondering if I made the right decision or not. Um, but that's progressed through a career now. And I was thinking earlier that, that 25 years ago, I remember when Hotmail tried to switch from a Unix-based operating system to Windows, and it was an absolute mess in the 90s. You know what? Small confession. I still have an active Hotmail account. I still do. I still love that thing. And I think I've had it for 23 years now, and it still works. But uh, no, we're excited for this conversation today because uh, we're going to be chatting with Aaron Warner of ProCircular. And uh, kind of in light of the fact that we've got Cybersecurity Career Awareness Week coming up, and Dan, you've worked with Aaron quite a bit in the past. Yeah, I, I first met Aaron shortly after uh, ProCircular was launched, and it was an exciting time. Uh, there was an opportunity for that business to grow quickly uh, and, and meet needs across not only eastern Iowa, but regionally. Uh, and hopefully we get a chance to uh, learn a little bit more in the, the, the next teaser here for our 45 minutes together. Fantastic. Well, we're looking forward to this conversation. So with that, let's innovate, Iowa. This show is sponsored by Nymaster Good, Iowa's largest law firm with offices in Des Moines, Cedar Rapids, and Ames. Nymaster's cutting-edge, positive legal approach has helped businesses of all sizes succeed for over 100 years. We'll talk more about them later in the show, but what I need to let you know right now is that with more than 70 practice areas, Nymaster has attorneys with expertise in all areas of the law, including corporate structure, capital raising, intellectual property protection, tax planning, employee benefits, labor and employment law, government relations, and litigation. So visit www.nymaster.com, that's N-Y-E-Master.com, to learn what Nymaster Good can do for you. Aaron, welcome to the studio. We're really glad to have you on. I'm curious about how ProCircular kind of got its start. Um, how, how did that come to be? Well, to answer that question, I, I have to go back a little bit. Um, I worked in biotech. I worked in biotech for about 20 years. And towards the end of my, uh, my time as a, a chief information officer, um, more and more of uh, my day was being taken up by cybersecurity issues. Um, we in biotech, we have all kinds of uh, sort of unique challenges, whether it's things to do with GMO or um, the in, sort of international uh, form of, of, of the, the, that a lot of that work takes. It, um, 
it invites some of the less pleasant uh, threat actors that are out there. So, uh, what are what are some of the, th- the threats that you might face? Uh, we had individuals trying to steal intellectual property. Um, we had all of your usual sort of fraudsters who were trying to steal credit cards and, and pull you inf- information and that sort of thing. But because we worked in biotech, a lot of the intellectual property was very valuable to state actors, places like China, and um, uh, that would take um, some of the work that was done by American biotech firms and replicate it. It's the cheapest form of R&D, right? Sure. To get someone else to do it for you. So uh, those those risks, those challenges were stacking up. And uh, this is this would be about 2015. I, I was looking for good firms to support our work at IDT. Um, I could find really good larger firms. So PwC or Deloitte would be happy to talk to me. And for about three quarters of a million dollars, they do a risk assessment. Um, that was great if we were a larger company, but we couldn't afford that that kind of expenditure. IDT was not that big a firm at the time. So uh, I looked around at the smaller firms and I could find little companies that could sell me hardware or software, but there was really no good mid-market support uh, for cybersecurity at the time. And uh, I'd been a CIO with, with Integrated DNA for over 20 years, um, average tenure is about three uh, in, in CIO land. So it was probably time to move on and um, talk to a couple of colleagues of mine, uh, some of the smarter folks that I knew in the industry, and we started a, a company called ProCircular. Um, so our firm was designed to meet the needs that we had at, at IDT. It's to help mid-market firms um, to get their arms, to, to feel comfortable with their cybersecurity status, to get their arms around all things that are cybersecurity and compliance. And so what exactly would that mean? I mean, you have a company that's like, hey, we have, we want to make sure that uh, we're shored up on cybersecurity. Who can we talk to? Uh, so say that a company has those needs. Uh, how do they approach you and how do you start that conversation for helping them? We, we generally meet our clients in one of two ways. Uh, and I hate to paint it so black and white, but it, it's those that we meet before and those that we meet after. And um, the clients that we get to work with before a breach or before any kind of an incident, um, we get to do proactive work. We get to talk about what would you do on game day and array, all of those various um, uh, things for them so that they're prepared when that bad day inevitably happens. Uh, unfortunately, the other group of, of clients that we get to meet are those that are having a bad day or those that just, just finished one and would like to not do it again. Um, so um, the proactive work that we do with clients that haven't necessarily had a, had a breach um, uh, or the clients that we meet on the, on the back end of um, kind of a bad day. Is there much of a difference in response between the two? I mean, if you have a client who is being proactive uh, versus a client that has just gotten burned, do the ones that just got burned, do they listen more attentively or seem more urgent? Or, or do, the pre, do the people that are being proactive, are they also really paying attention and really enforcing these steps even though they haven't been victimized yet? Yeah, yeah. Um, often what we find, um, IT usually knows where the problem is going to come from. Um, whether that's before or after, a lot of the times those those guys who are sort of in the basement doing the computer work know where those risks stand. Their lives don't tend to change a whole lot other than, uh, and, and not to be facetious about this, but often budgets change pretty significantly after a breach. Um, so 
some of the things that they've been complaining about for, in some cases, a couple of years, um, tend to get prioritized very quickly. They they get a deeper set of pocket books to work with once there has once there, once there has been a breach. Unfortunately, that's that's the truth of the matter. Um, uh, they find it a lot easier to make the case for cybersecurity after everyone has sort of seen firsthand what that really bad day looks like. It kind of seems like at this point you hear about high-profile hacks quite often, and yet there are still a number of companies out there that kind of have this approach of, well, it's not going to happen to us, or they, they don't make cybersecurity a really big priority. Um, why do you think that is when we are constantly seeing stories about these hacks happening? You know, it's um, cybersecurity is a risk like any other. And um, people avoid risks all the time for a variety of different reasons. Um, financial risk. You know, you see companies get themselves into financial trouble all the time despite sort of what appear in retrospect to be glaring flashing lights. Um, Cybersecurity is the same way. Um, people can. It's not an expense that most uh, organizations are used to, especially older organizations. So, you know, if you've got an insurance firm that's been around for seventy years, cybersecurity has never been a part of that budget, and all of a sudden they've got this huge expensive line item that doesn't produce any additional clients. It just looks like an expense, and it's a big one. So, what is this, and why is this so expensive? Is kind of a natural reaction to that. Um, additionally, I, I think some companies, and, and this is this is true, maybe more so in the Midwest um, or with uh, with industries that aren't necessarily technical um, or haven't had to be in the past. Uh, they they just don't see how this has anything to do with them. They'll see a, a, a tech firm like a Amazon or a Google or somebody get get hacked and assume, well, you know, they they do computer work or they they're a tech firm, big tech, so. You know, you can understand why they'd be targeted. But uh, when it comes to um, companies in agriculture, um, companies in uh, logistics, um, organizations like that haven't had to think about this stuff until very recently. So there's a natural um, tendency to question what, what do we need any of this for? Um, we, we, we still run into that quite a bit, um, although admittedly quite a bit less so than, than we used to. Well, and one of the things I wanted to ask you, Aaron, is I moved from Michigan about seven years ago, and Iowa and, and the Midwest as a whole is known for this pull-up-your-bootstraps mentality, deal with what comes your way, fight through it, tenacity will get you through. Sometimes does pride play a factor in your ability to respond? Is it tough for people to admit, gosh, I don't know what to do next, I don't know where to go? Um, it does, and... Um you know, I'm, I'm laughing a little bit because the um, stressful situations tend to bring out people's real personalities or they kind of mm -hmm. amplify people's personalities. So somebody who was, you know, kind of known beforehand for having a little swagger, always being the one that had the right answers in the room, maybe wasn't interested in listening to others all that much. That person's personality is going to get amplified when you've got... Uh, no orders coming in over the website, or you've got trucks idling by the side of the road, or you've got a manufacturing line that isn't making anything. That can tend to bring the most extreme versions of people's personalities out. So for sure, there is a, there is a pride component that um, we see it or have seen it most, I think, in um, 
when it comes to paying ransom, because then it becomes very personal. There's a personal signature on you know some check, or it, it just feels very like they are agreeing to lose. Um, uh, and a lot of people who lead companies, they don't like to lose very often. So it, it definitely brings out that part of a, of a personality. Get a little competitive, get a little <laughs> defensive, um, you know, um, very quickly start assigning blame. Um, that's, I mean, that's a big part of the role that we play in incident response. We bring the calm. Like everybody, stop barking at each other. Um, you, this isn't unique. We're going to get you through this. But there are steps that you have to follow in order to see yourself through and to get back to doing whatever it is your organization does. What but, do you do when you get brought in during a hack? Like You mentioned you have customers, both proactive and then ones who have been victimized. But if somebody reaches out to you and they're like, hey, yesterday somebody hacked into our system they are currently demanding these funds until if we don't do something by this date mm -hmm. are you able to help them much during that period or once the hack happens are you kind of like well now we just have to deal with the repercussions no um that's it's a great question we get that's usually when we get brought in so somebody will say um depending on the type of breach um somebody will say the computers are just slow that we can't get into the computers all the way up to um, nobody, uh, as, as was the case in like the WannaCry uh, Maersk situation, there were thousands of computers that nobody could use, right? There's just ransomware everywhere and everything's locked up. We, that's usually when we get that call and they'll call into the number, we'll take some information and then within about three hours, we'll either have someone on a plane or in a car. Um, that tends to happen on Tuesday nights at about 11 o'clock at night or on Friday nights at about 5.30, just about the time maybe you've started to look for a glass of wine on a Friday <laughs> night after a long week. Uh, but that's usually the, the situation that we drop into. Truth be told, um, you know, and Dan, you, you brought this up, most of the time people are just glad to have help. Um, a lot of times they've tried to solve this problem themselves. Um, if everything were you know, five by five in an organization, they wouldn't have to call us in the first place. So they're already a little exasperated. Um, you know, little things like bringing cookies, uh, bring, bringing donuts can go a long way towards reminding people that like, look, life will go on. We, there is, people are still going to work and coming home from work outside of this room. And it's going to be a couple of weeks. It will be unpleasant, but we'll, we'll get there. But the, the people part of it is incredibly important in an incident response. Well, it's, it's so stressful. I mean, it's very violating. You know, somebody hacks into something of yours. It's not that different from them breaking into your house. You know, they're still, they're in your personal information and you just feel like, well, it's like, why is somebody doing this to me? Yeah. You know, and in the case of ransom, well, they're doing this to you because they're trying to make you pay the money. But it's still that sense of this was supposed to be secure. This was supposed to be safe. And this is mine and somebody who I have no idea who they are and I can't do anything about it, they're now in there and they're taking things they shouldn't be and they're seeing things they shouldn't see and they're telling me to give them money. And yeah, I imagine that people in that situation are incredibly stressed and incredibly frustrated and it would be a challenge to know how to communicate with them in a way that will make them feel better and, and uh, you know, not make the situation worse for them. It takes, it takes a certain kind of personality to be able to be that calm center of the storm. Um, uh, the incident response folks that we've hired in, that's a pretty exhaustive process, just 
just interviewing them to get the right person. You want the person that would, if you were in that situation, that you'd want managing the, the problem. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a weird blend of technical skill and people skill. The ability to teach is a, is a big part of it. Um, the ability to have, I mean, you have to have pretty thick skin because people say things that they may not mean, uh, and they definitely aren't thinking too much about. They're just reacting. Yeah, they're lashing out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, because it is, it, 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 it's, um, you feel violated when this has happened because, and, and interestingly enough, companies with a really positive company culture, I think, feel this even worse because everyone at a company that's really bought into the idea, really bought into what they're doing, it's not just that somebody is stolen from IBM. It's that this is, a, this is the company that they work for. They spend all this time with these people, and now they all have to do all this work to make up for whatever the loss is. The, we say this all the time at, at ProCircular. The, the real cost of a breach is the opportunity cost. Mm-hmm. It, 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 um, it's all that anybody's going to talk about for the next six months. Um, Everybody in senior management, all they're going to be doing is talking to lawyers and um, cybersecurity folks and IT folks to try and figure out how to never go through this process again. Everybody who's spending all of this time talking about the breach could be using that time talking about what the company is trying to accomplish themselves, right? What they what they said they didn't set out the year to talk about cybersecurity. They talked. They set out the year to accomplish whatever it is that they do. All of this is a huge distraction to that. It's all anybody at the company is going to be thinking about for the next three to six months. So um, long story short, you can add up the cost of the cybersecurity company. You can add up the cost of the lawyers and um, the PR and all of that stuff. That That's a quantifiable number. But the really expensive part of all of this is is the cost of having everybody else worried about a breach and not about what your organization really is meant to do, whether that's a hospital trying to uh, protect patients or whether that's a city that's supposed to be serving their citizens, all they're doing is trying to figure out how to put the pieces back together. Yeah, we had a fairly high-profile hack into the uh, the local school system mm-hmm. uh, a couple months ago, and, and very similar to what you're talking about. I mean, that dominated the conversation going into the start of the school year at a time when you should be talking about other things. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that uh, ProCircular has done some work with Nine Master Good in the past, and we have a really good relationship with Nine Master Good. In fact, Nine Master Good is the sponsor of this podcast. So we're constantly talking on here about how having uh, attorneys in your corner is really helpful for all manner of startup businesses, entrepreneurs, because you don't know the kinds of things you're going to run into out there. Um, so... Uh, so my question is, I know that, um, that you've done some work with them in the past. What has mm-hmm. your past interaction with Nymaster Good been? Nymaster is a great firm. Uh, they're one of the larger firms in the, in the state, and um, if not the largest firm in the state. Uh, they do um, quite a bit of incident response work. They do quite a bit of uh, preparatory work for, for clients who are thinking about uh, what are we going to do if, if a breach happens. Um, yeah, our experiences with Nymaster have been very good. Yeah, and it goes right into what you were saying about being proactive, about, um, you know, in the same way that an entrepreneur is not going to know what legal issues they might face and have somebody on hand just in case somebody doesn't know what kind of cybersecurity issues they're going to run into and they want to have your advice on hand just in case. 
that's a big part of preparation. Um, you know, finding the finding your law firm or finding the phone number for the FBI is never something you want to do at 11 o'clock on a Tuesday night. I have the FBI in my phone right here. <laughs> but I'm that way. Right. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny that this is a bit of a tangent, but uh, that's a thing that getting when you get into cybersecurity, um, there are some things that are your your life changes pretty considerably when you're out to dinner with friends <laughs> and your phone rings on a Friday night and it's the FBI and you haven't told your friends that you work with the FBI on a pretty regular basis. They don't assume that, they, I mean, I don't know what they assume, but uh, <laughs> it's like, no, they're, they're, I got to take this call. I'll be right back. And you come back to the table and they're like, what does the FBI want? It's like, uh, no, 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 this is just work. I'm, I'm working with the FBI. We're not the target of an investigation, just to be clear. Uh, see, I'd yeah. run with that. Uh, I would just totally make a thing out of that and right. be like, well, I can't talk no, about can't this. Rip. but I uh, have to kill you if uh, I let you Where's know. your car at? Because I might need it. Right. <laughs> well, and I remember my first call from the State Department. And luckily, it was just a background check on a prior employee they right. were onboarding. But right. for a second, what you, oh, I'm, I'm with the Office of the Inspector General. General at the State Department. Okay, deep breath here. Okay. Um, how's I, your day going? Do I need to have my lawyer present? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so, so talking a little bit about some of the the legal uh, backing and things people need to consider in this profession. I know this week uh, there there was the the former Uber CISO um, who is being held accountable for reporting some things but maybe not reporting them in the right direction and the the organization not taking action what what do you think the average business owner needs to do who should they be consulting with about uh, really what falls on their shoulders if and when an incident happens you know i think just to have started the conversation just to get a management team together on a friday afternoon and to say okay we have ransomware. Let's pretend, let's play this out and see what we would do if this happened. If they haven't done anything, even that conversation can be an important start. Um, you know, you, you don't, you, you don't want to go into game day without ever having practiced at all. So um, there are some really good resources available online if, if companies want to try and go it alone. Uh, NIST has some excellent resources. CISA has some excellent resources. But... Um, yeah, just to have that first conversation to figure out, you know, who is it that we should call if there's a problem? Um, what are what does our insurance look like? Um, what is our insurance provider? Um, I'll tell you an, an interesting development that we've seen over the last year or so. Um, insurance companies have gotten tired of writing a $2,500 policy and then paying a $5 million ransom, right? It's not an awesome business model. Uh, and They've definitely come around to that. So just in the five years, six years that I've been doing this full time, uh, the insurance policies for cybersecurity, so cyber insurance policies, have gone from like a single page application with 10 little questions to a 35 page, what is essentially an audit. And um, the steps that they need to figure out ahead of time, a lot of those things are included in that audit. Insurance companies, the, the thing they're doing right is... Um, Insurance companies are building that questionnaire around the most common causes of cybersecurity breaches, and they've actually done a really good job of that. So just going through what are we supposed to do on game day, working with their insurance provider on those sorts of things, that, that, can, that can move the ball ahead 
pretty considerably. Um, certainly better than you could do by yourself during a breach when all of your computers are down. Well, well, and as you talk about kind of that preparedness and what to do ahead of time when you don't know there's a, a problem, I, I think about like the tabletop exercise. So uh, for, for, for Rob and for other people listening um, who aren't in the industry, it's, it's almost kind of like playing Dungeons and Dragons. It's exactly right? like Dungeons and Dragons. Wait, what? Yep. I want more information I, about I this. I know, right? You, you rolled a four damage, and uh, now, now our DM over here, our dungeon master, is going to tell you that uh, your intrusion prevention system just went down. How do you respond, right? I have the perfect story about this. So uh, one of the f we do quite a bit of tabletop exercise work. Uh, one of our um, uh, virtual CISOs, so one of the senior folks in the firm, is um, uh, a Marine and spent quite a bit of time in uh, Iraq. So his job in Iraq uh, was complicated and uh, was sort of moments of sheer terror followed by 30 or 60 days of nothing happening, right? So there's a lot of waiting around in, uh, in the work that, that he was doing. He fought in Fallujah. Uh, and so as a result of that, as a sort of strange twist of events, um, uh, the, several of the members of our team, but, but um, uh, this guy in particular, uh, because of his time in the Middle East and because of his time in the military, he played a ton of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, so he is the best dungeon master you will ever meet. If you ever need a tabletop exercise, he can make it interesting and engaging. And he's run tabletops up to 40, 50 people at a time. And uh, But it's a rare skill. It is a lot like playing a, a game, being a good tabletop exercise manager is a lot like being a good dungeon master. Yeah. Well, well, and I think one of the things we've, we've cha been challenged by in this industry is we always want to go like technical, technical on everything. Like, oh, did you uh, update your NT landman pass to disable version two? Yeah. That's going to be thing. lost on a CFO. Yeah, that was definitely yeah. lost on me. I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> and, and, and with that, listeners just uh, hit pause and yeah, found something else. Yeah, I was going to say, right? okay, yeah, our, uh, yeah. our downloads just went down. All right, great. <laughs> but, but, Nerds. But, 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 but the one that I, I loved is uh, the, the Center for Disease Control recognized this like 15 years ago, and they actually came out with a whole zombie awareness campaign. What? So you think about uh, back to the derecho just a few years ago. Well, what would you do if the zombies were coming? You'd make sure you fill the bathtub. You'd make sure you've got, you know, frozen water in the freezer so you can refrigerate things for a few days. You'd make sure you had fuel, right? All those things you'd need for a zombie. And then in the end, the CDC is like, yeah, this isn't really about zombies. Uh, we're helping you prepare for a fire or an earthquake or a hurricane or whatever that local threat is. So... You know, thinking that that gamification it connects with people, how does ProCircular try to incorporate that in your training to get people excited about? Boy, did you catch me at an interesting time. Oh, please, please <laughs> tell me that you've created a zombie hacker simulation because I want to see how that works. I can do you one better. Okay. Uh, I have partnered, and you're the first to hear this, uh, I have partnered with a couple of uh, the smartest people that I know. Um, I've, I I've partnered up with a gentleman called uh, Cameron Dayton. Cameron was uh, one of the early creators of World of Warcraft. He did a lot of the work on Stargate and Diablo. Uh, he was creative director for uh, EA. So he did a couple of uh, Call of Duty's titles. He did the zombie one, true story. 
Uh, okay, if we weren't nerding out before, we are now. We are definitely now, now. Is this like the World War II zombie alternative? Or? Yeah. Oh, that okay. Was, awesome. That was Cameron's game. So Cameron designed that. Um, I have also uh, linked up with a colleague, uh, Jim Sherlock, is his name. Jim was a, a very senior guy at uh, Pearson. Um, he is an expert in uh, education standards and measurement, as well as uh, the technical side of, uh, of education. Uh, and um, uh, uh, thirdly, a, a gentleman called Tyler uh, Tyler Olson, who's the CEO of a company called Shield. It's a training organization. Uh, just last week, we started a company called Cybercade. Uh, Cybercade is a company that will make games that will help people to learn cybersecurity. And uh, yeah. you're hearing it first here. Um, uh, that I'm the, not gonna lie, this is the coolest thing ever. The first title is Adventures in Cybersecurity. So I'll give you a. I, and there's a little bit I can't share quite yet, but it, here's the gist. You log in with five other people, and uh, you get a little bit to get set up. You get it used to the environment. So first, um, you get to meet Glenn. Glenn is a cybersecurity professional. He's sort of your Sherpa through the game. Glenn will show up, and, and uh, he's talking with Stan, who's a receptionist. Stan's desk is a mess. Stan's got stuff all over the place, and Glenn says, hey... I think we've got a cybersecurity incident here, but I need you guys to look through Stan's desk because it's a train wreck. Figure out what on this desk is a security risk. And there's some obvious stuff. There's like the sticky thing on the monitor, the the sticky note. or But if you piece together, like there's some stuff from his mom is on the desk. And if you add that to another thing, you might be able to come up with her identity. Um, so the game sort of ramps up. You have 60 minutes and you've got a hacker in your computer system and the five of you on the game have to play together to figure out how to get the hacker out, figure out who the hacker was, and to figure out what uh, did the hacker steal. So is this like a role-playing game, or is it like a VR kind of thing where like six people are sharing a room in a VR space and looking at this desk together? This is a role-playing game. Um, you would log in with... you. Uh, so we've talked with uh, hospitals about having different... Different hospital affiliates log in so that nurses could share information with each other, uh, that learn with one another. Um, it's a subscription, so we're going to include every major breach, all of the bad stuff that happens. When that happens, you'll be able to play it ahead of time before it affects your your company. Um, so education is a thing we're super passionate about, and this will be the first time, I think, in history that somebody has called back to the cybersecurity department and said, hey, that training that you gave me last week, can I do that again? Can, can I yeah. take it home to my kids? <laughs> yeah, right? I'd, really like to, I'd really like more cybersecurity training, please, is a line that has been uttered never. <laughs> um, we're going to change that. Well, well and I, I remember there was a package the U.S. Naval, uh, um, Naval Academy had put out a trainer of sorts, mm -hmm. but it felt like you'd expect a government game to feel like. So by bringing together some of these experts, uh, you know, Jim Sherlock, someone I, I know personally as well, you're looking for something that's really engaging, that's a modern feel to it that you want to... It's going to be fun. Out. It's, yeah. it's got to be a game. I don't like, know. I know I know almost nothing about cybersecurity, and I want to do this. Yeah, I, like, I, I just want to get in on it. It's going to be a blast. Um, there's a lot of little quirky um, uh, Easter eggs throughout the game, um, It and it is actual training. So you're going to learn things like data classification. Um, you're going to learn things about password complexity. You're going to learn about the... You know, we were talking earlier about the process of a breach. Like, how does that go down? You'll have a chance to have everybody in your company 
practice that in kind of a fun, productive way, but practice it a few times before they are in that situation so it'll be more familiar when, when that day comes. That's really, that's incredibly creative. And, and what's, what's interesting about that is, Dan, you and I have talked a lot about how um, employees in cybersecurity and IT, you know, everybody thinks, oh, you've just got to be really smart about computers, you know, you got to like know math, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but really, the people who really excel in this field are people who have very creative minds, who are able to kind of imagine new things, you know, in some cases can get inside the head of, well, if I was going to try and hack something, what would I do? What would be my approach? And then build defenses based on that. Um, but, you know, and it goes back to also the, the people skills, understanding how to communicate. Um, all of those things are important for anybody who works in cybersecurity. And as we were talking about at the very beginning of this episode, uh, this is Cybersecurity Career Awareness Week. And, um, and so as you think about that, as you think about what the ideal person who works in this industry is, uh, I mean, Dan, you as an educator... Uh, and Aaron, you you having ProCircular as a company, both of you are in a great position to kind of talk about who the ideal employee in this industry would be, and that those people might not even think, oh, I'm a, I'd be great for cybersecurity. You know, they might be working in a completely unrelated field and have no idea that this could be a really good job for them to go into. Well, and I, I love that you're setting that up that way because it, it, those that don't know Rob, Rob, you're you're a theater major. I am. So, so looking at it from this approach, as Aaron's talking about, we need someone that can be cool and composed. We need someone that can go in and say it's okay to cry. Uh, there are tears in theater. So. <laughs> what? <laughs> there are not. Some Dan, of, some how of, dare you? Some of them are on stage. But 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 yeah, I I I love that that you're bringing out that creative and and you know even as Aaron's describing the 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 new developments with ProCircular and the partners. I'm thinking, okay, wouldn't it be great if, if Stan's dad's name is Randy? Because we remember Randy's the one who fixed the internet when it went down and rebooted the router. But yes. Um, Aaron, I'd love, I'd love to hear is, is there, is there a profession or a background that does not have a future or an opportunity in cyber? You know, it's what you guys are making me think of. Um, I mean, the, the fact is that there are, it's such high demand right now for people in all different parts of cybersecurity that, um, you've had people from every conceivable background come into cybersecurity. Um, just as an example, a lot of the folks that we work with at the FBI, a lot of the special agents that work in the cybersecurity division um, are former forensic accountants. They, the, For whatever reason that they kind of pirated at the FBI, they kind of pirated from that part of the bureau and said, hey, gay, <laughs> good news yeah, for yeah. you. You're now a cybersecurity <laughs> special agent. And um, so you have all kinds of people coming in from different, different backgrounds if for no other reason than there just weren't cybersecurity people in this kind of number five years ago. Um, uh, we have at the firm, it's something that we joke about a lot, uh, it's sort of the, um, the Star Wars bar scene. I mean, there are folks at the firm who, you know, look and worked at places like Deloitte or PwC. You know, they wear a sport coat and they're buttoned up. Maybe they have a tie, maybe they don't, but they're in a suit. Um, we have some folks with blue hair. Uh, in fact, our head of finance is getting a sleeve of tattoos right now. So it takes all kinds of weird creatures to do the things that we that we do uh, in, in cybersecurity. It, it's only because of 
the history of cybersecurity that people think of it as being a super technical thing. You know, they think that we're all, you know, the the nerds in the basement. Some of us are that, but it takes all kinds of different people to do to do this thing that we do. Well, well and I, I think back. So, so the very first hacker investigation was a gentleman named Cliff Stoll, who I believe was a physicist. And he was tracking down a 23 cent accounting error on his system, but it just was, he was curious. Mm -hmm. It was 23 cents off and he couldn't reconcile that in his software. He couldn't figure out where it went, but that led to, to the first, the first hack or the first documented hack Mm -hmm. at least. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I appreciate you joining us today and sharing all, all this background. Um, as, as we close up, you know, what, what else do you wish we would have asked you today? I, I, uh, I just enjoy, I'm super passionate about all of these things. It is unfortunate to have a career that is rooted in people doing bad things, you know? Um, uh, and you know, if they decided to go do other things, I would find something else to do, but we get to do a lot of good. We get to help a lot of people in bad situations and, you know, probably the most interesting thing about this industry, I never know what I'm going to walk into at work. If you were looking for stability in a career, this would be the worst place you could go. Like, you you got no predictability. But if you enjoy learning something new every day, if you enjoy a, a challenge, cybersecurity is an amazing place to work. Um, I, I guess I would also say maybe one last, one last thing. Um, from a gender equity or a DEI perspective, there are nowhere near enough women or people of color in cybersecurity. So to the degree that we can get anybody and everybody uh, who isn't traditionally already in math classes uh, involved in cybersecurity, you know, that's another place where we have huge gains to make. There's like 50% of the population doesn't work in cybersecurity because of their gender. And that's something that we can change. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for being here. This has been a fascinating conversation, and I hope that you know anybody out there who is considering a possible career change would look at cybersecurity and, and IT because, like you said, there's there's a huge amount of opportunity there. But uh, and and I would say, you know, I hear you on on the whole. Well, it, it it's the bad actors that give us a job, but I would look at it more as you are the reason why the bad actors are not more successful than they are. I mean, you have probably helped a lot of people to hold on to their companies and to their, uh, you know, their, their just, just in general, you've protected people's livelihoods. So from that perspective, it's a hugely important thing that it's, you do. It's really nice to get a win. We helped a, helped a guy bring a repatriate. He lost about $900,000 and we helped him to repatriate 780,000 of it and I'll never forget what the the special agent told me. He said I, he said I called the guy, I hope you don't mind. I said no, it's fine. And I said how did he react when you told him that you had found your found his money? And he said, "You know, uh, well, I told him that we found 780,000 in South America or in South Africa." Um, and his response, he said, "You've never met anybody so happy to lose $120,000 in your life." <laughs> So Patriot, it's a it's rare that we are able to catch that money and bring it. It's even more rare that we're able to repatriate it and bring it back. Um, he was the happiest guy in the world that we were able to get the majority of it. So every now and again, you get a big win, and it it does feel really good when you're able to help somebody. Out. That's awesome. That's awesome. well. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for talking with us today, and uh, 
yeah, we'll see you out there. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for our guest, Aaron Warner, for coming on the show. Remember, you can find Aaron at Pro Circular's website. I, th- I think it was amazing. You, you know, we talk so much about all those opportunities for everyone to start their career. Pro Circular has a number of job opportunities. There's an application right on their site that anyone that wants to learn more about cybersecurity careers can go and click and learn how you can fit in this. And uh, Aaron's a good guy to know anyway because uh, he's making games with like really cool game people. Like I did not know that when we came in here and now I, I nerded out a little bit. Exactly. And I, I mean, having that FBI contact at his phone where, okay, I'm, I'm stuck. Uh, you, you know, the whole plot of Taken starts to play out on your trip to Chicago. You're, you're ready. You've got him as a resource. And see, and I thought the coolest thing was if you just changed the name of your router to FBI surveillance van. But, you know, if anybody's like looking at like available servers and they see that pop up. But uh, his is way cooler. <laughs> hey, if, uh, if you love the show, please subscribe and leave a review. And you can also visit our blog, Nubo co slash blog to find key takeaways summarized and detailed. Uh, this podcast is produced and distributed by the LAS Media Group. And for more information, go to lasmediagroup.com. And finally, we sure would love it if you would consider a donation to NuboCo. Your contributions to our nonprofit help us continue to serve innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs across the state of Iowa. To learn more, visit nubo.co slash donate. So, Dan, as an educator, what are your final thoughts on the whole idea of pursuing cybersecurity as a career when you have no previous experience in that field? You know, it's it's one of those uh, opportunities. It truly exists for everyone. I've had people I've worked with over the years that have worked in the restaurant, food service industry, hospitality, um, and truly there's a place for everyone. Well, you had Alex, uh, a good friend of mine, who uh, mainly did music and then decided to go into cybersecurity. Yeah, and and today he's he's now uh, received, I think, three or four promotions and, and different company changes and working as a cloud engineer. Uh, yet a couple years ago, uh, that that wasn't anything on the horizon for him. So a, a true leading example of what can be done if someone's willing to work hard, if they're curious. Um, hungry and humble is, is a line I like to use, and, and being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Those traits will get you far in this industry. Well, definitely, like you said, take a look at Pro Circular online, and you know, if this is the kind of career you want to do. There's probably there's some great opportunities out there, but... Uh, Thank you for listening, and go be a nerd just like us. Yeah, let's go play Dungeons & Dragons, Rob. Absolutely. (laughs)